Okay. Mm, what did we talk about last week? Say what? Self and sense of self, right? Okay. So this is a. You know, these are words. The depth and breadth and the profoundness of this is beyond words. So. Sometimes at the end of a sermon, you might feel like you've understood it all, but it's, you know what you've understood is what you've understood because I don't know what you've understood. Yurandru goes on about this all the time, and he says that to us as well in the sermons that he does for us. He says, you know, Obahanses have understood what Obahanses have understood. Who knows if what you've understood is what I have understood? And I'm Guruhandru, and you have only heard what I have had to say. These are words. And I have struggled to translate and transform and convert them into words, and words don't necessarily convey meanings. It's the it's the feeling that ignites inside of you that matters after all. So, but we keep trying, right, until we get it. And uh, what's the best check of if you've gotten it? Hmm. That's awesome. Very good. Very good. Splendid. I'm really happy to hear that. Freeing yourself from the evil deeds unwholesome deeds hmm? when you become a, a wonderful person to be around that is the that is when you when you can say you have really understood the core of the the dhamma and when you don't feel the need for it not when you feel it and don't do it but when you don't feel the need for it when the vexation for it dies fades away because after all vexation is what we're trying to fix here you know, sometimes sometimes it might feel like we're talking about something completely different to what we were, you know, several years ago, or maybe some months ago before you stop had to stop coming in because of Corona. But actually, it's not it's not a different thing altogether. It's it's just deeper. It's just more profound. It's just there's more depth to it, more substance to it. But it's the same thing. You know, we talked about pleasure, vexation, and all that. The same things over again. Just another iteration, but this time new words, different words, and more. It's more. It's it's fuller. It has go. It's got. It has got more essence to it, and that is. I'll help you figure that out as well as you go along, because otherwise people might feel well. Is it just now you have understood Swami Nasa? What about all the things you've been saying to us all this time? Have you wasted our time? Should we have just come now? Because then what you'll do is you'll project from there on and say, well, instead of coming now, maybe we'll come in five years' time when you have actually gotten it. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Like I was telling Guru Hanru yesterday, you know, like we have our new Anagarika Mahatyas and the young Anagarikas at the back. I was telling Guru Hanru, you know, some of these young Anagarikas, these are young uh, 18 minus Anagarikas, and some of our new adult Anagarikas and Anagarikas, you know, they don't get to hear Guru Hanru talking about the four great hells. No, they don't, actually. They don't. Because, you know, that was his journey. There was a time when all he talked about was that. Do you remember those sermons we used to do as a, as a Deshagatuma? Yeah? Yeah, you'd freak out, right? Just listen to them. How, you know, wild beasts would tear at the flesh of another and just imagine yourself in that and he would give you that, you know, that gross graphic and vivid images in your mind. Hmm? 
they just reverberate in my mind in how he says you know, crush your bones, right? And uh, how we talked about jati dukkha, right? A very different meaning to what we talk talk now, right? But uh, all that, you know, how some of our young anagarikas don't get to hear from Guru Swami in one side. But what he said was, well, their teachers should be talking to them about, to them about those things. And, you know, you are all so fortunate because you've been there, you know, during that journey. And what Guru Swami Master said was, you know, that's the journey I came on. So when I first as a Deshagatama started to preach, you know, that's where I was. And then, you know, today I don't talk about the four great hells because I don't feel that anyone would be in a mindset to want to do something that's going to take them there. Because, you know, it takes one to know one, right? So he's a different person now. And then, you know, in a, in a little while, he's going to stop talking about the sensual worlds. And because it will be pretty obvious. I mean, why would anyone want ice cream? <laughs> he, he used to go on about cake, remember? Some of our listeners used to complain. It's the only thing that Guru Handra can use as an example is cake. Right? I haven't heard him talk about cake in a long time. <laughs> uh, those days are, are, are gone. <laughs> You know, and yeah, so this is his journey that he's on. If you if you observe the things he's been talking about from back then to now, you know, there's a there's a a beautifully delineated journey that you can you can follow. And you know, those of you who've been there when it all started, you know, you are really fortunate to have come on that journey. Even if you weren't, you can always obviously go back and listen to them. But you know, even if you start listening now, and you do it intently, purposefully and with great care and diligence, the, the, the same effect can happen. So, you know, it's not that you should kick yourself thinking, oh, I should have started listening to then, you know, I didn't that back then, am I going to miss out? No, not, not so. But it's important that you, if you're diligent with your practice and you do it as he, as he preaches and advises you to do now, you can achieve the same results. Because this is the same thing, just more advanced, more standard more more profound and more more depth and breadth. It's like high definition. Right? You watch the same thing back then, you watch the same thing today. Back then it was standard definition, now you have HD. Right? In a little while it'll be 4K. <laughs> right? And and but but you know living the Dhamma is what will help you to grasp what he says, you know, in, in a few words. Otherwise we'll have to just keep on talking about it time and time and time and time again. And sometimes it will take you maybe 10, 15, 20 sermons to understand some of these concepts. That's okay. Your, you know, how, uh, how much you apply yourself to this is, a, is directly proportional to how soon you can understand these concepts. And what do I mean by applying these things? You know, the basic advice, the foundation, good basics. Because this is built on a, on a, on a foundation and that foundation should be rock solid. That foundation should be a good foundation, a foundation of abstaining from unmeritorious deeds, a foundation of engaging in meritorious deeds, a foundation of you know, engaging in, in, in the good practices and listening to what he says and, and doing those things, right? So provided you're doing all that, you know, don't think too much about the fact that you, know, you weren't there perhaps when it all started. But that's all right because you can join halfway and get to the same destination. 
So we're talking about the self and the sense of self. These are two words, but the, the meaning of these words is far beyond what I can convey with words. Uh, a really good example I can give you is, we talked about this yesterday. Um, let me write it on the board for you. What is that? Hmm? That's four letters, yes. It's a word. You can read it, obviously, right? And it is read? Love. Okay. What's that? Yes. Is that four letters again? Oh, yes, it is four letters. Okay. So, I'm still working on my written Hindi, so I can't write PR it, but I'm getting there. So this is the same as that, but it's not, is it? See, these things look so different. They don't even, I mean, they have nothing in common, except for the fact that there are four letters, but even if you broke it down by you know, their separation, you have five of them, and here you only have four of them. Yeah, four characters. If you, you know, prefer this as a separate character. Now, but although they have different, they're illustrated differently, these two words will mean the same thing to someone who understands both these languages. One's in English, the other's in Sinhala. Inside of you, it'll trigger the same response. So I could say I this you, or I could say I that you, and it will mean the same thing. That which will be different to that is very different to this and this. These now see these three words, they look very different, don't they? Yeah, they have no resemblance to each other. But two of them does the same thing inside of you. Are you with me? Yeah? The two of these does the same thing inside of you. One does the complete opposite of that. These two things does the same thing because it gives you a sense. I'm, I'm trying to explain to you what I mean by this sense of self. These two things give you an emotion, a feeling, a sensation, which is different to what that does. Okay? So what I'm talking about is something like that. When I say it's a sense of self, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is when I talk about self, it's not the word I'm referring to in itself. I can't, you know, I have to use the word itself when I'm talking about self. Please understand that, that I'll have to invent another language to talk about this because the word that they used to use in English is, is a self. Or maybe soul, I don't know if that might be a better word. So, I don't know. But that has various other connotations. And, and yeah, I, it just gets very muddy and very groggy. I don't know where to 
where to get to, you know, for, the thing is this, right? I have two audiences here. One, you can see around you, the other, you can't. They're not here. And they weren't in the morning sermon either. They're the people who tune into our YouTube channel and they watch them. With, they, have, they, have, they don't understand the first, they, they don't even know what that is. To them, that's only a picture. So, you know, I have a challenge there itself because you have listened to a morning sermon and now I need to give you something in addition to that. Right? I don't know why you're here, to be fair. Right? <laughs> this is not intended for you. Uh, it's intended for those poor souls who don't have the privilege of coming here and who don't, who don't know what that is. Uh, who thinks that's a lovely work of art. <laughs> uh, this, these sermons are for them, but you, know, you guys come and sit here. Right? So I have to talk to you. And then you, you already know some of these things from the singular sermon. So I need to give you something in addition to what we discussed this morning, as well as explain to those poor souls what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> and so it's a, it's, a, it's a tough challenge to, to handle. But, you know, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll try and do our best. The point I'm trying to get across here is, let's strike this out. I'm, I'm not in favor of that, to be fair. All right, let's use self for now, unless I change my mind again. Uh, nothing is fixed, yeah? We did a wonderful example of this last week. Do you want me to tell you what that is? So in our English class, I do one of them as well. Um, we did a debate this week. Hmm? You remember? Yes. We did a debate this week, and uh, I gave them the topic previous week. What was it? Rites and rituals are essential for Buddhist practice. So that was the topic. They had to come prepared for their debates. And uh, I think we had five in each team, and they had to debate with each other. Now, the funny thing was, so there was the last person who was due to speak. So everyone in the team, you know, any points that they might have missed, they wish they had said, but weren't said, what did they do? They pass it down, right? They pass it down to the last person, and now they're, you know, full to the brim with all these wonderful and you know what's coming don't you right they're, they're packed with this wonderful points you know like really sharp points that they can say to you know break any argument from the other team right so slowly we worked our way through the team and when we, when we got to the last one what do you think I said swap I know I'm mean. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So I asked them to swap. Right? But, you know, they're alive and they're here to tell the tale. So, and I showed them, you know, I, I gave them a lesson in the Dhamma. Nothing in this world is fixed. Anything and everything is subject to change. So you best be prepared for it. And it was funny how they were struggling to now, you know, side with the, the, their team and they felt this sense of loyalty towards their team. They felt, you know, they've been really disloyal to their, to their team. And sometimes they forgot what they were arguing, <laughs> whose side they were on. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny to watch that. It really was. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, all fun and games. But uh, so, where did I, how did I get here? What was I talking about? Are not being fixed. Okay, right. So coming back to self, 
this is purely just a word but it, what matters is really the feeling that you get this you know how you perceive this when i say self how do you perceive it that's the important thing that's why we i started to talk about this sense of belonging and that yeah that's where we started all this you know how why is it that this belongs to me matters you know and and the fact that this belonging this sense of belonging is only a sense and it's not in the object remember we talked about this because if it were in the object if it was objective then this would not work in anyone else's hand right i'm pretty sure that someone else has used this before me and it did, did this job perfectly well so but so we understand that there's such a thing as a sense of something you could be fooled that someone loves you hmm, happens all the time doesn't it yeah you know hey you could be fooled so you know you have that sense but they don't do they someone could trick you and uh, or even pretend to be there that pretend to be happy about something you've done you know sometimes you have to put up appearances and you know show that you are happy about something right let's say it's either uh, you know cheesecake or chocolate cake and it's the last slice and you know one has to get one the other has to get the other uh, you just want to be nice so what do you do you let them have they go you know i'm, I'm fine with anything when you know really well no it's just just it's the cheesecake you want right please don't take them please don't please don't take them please don't please don't take them right and then they they end up taking the your cheesecake and you go yeah i'm happy chocolate cake it's fine i mean you know it's not like <laughs> i've had it a thousand times right so yeah but you know that sense it's that sense that you know you you have a sense which does not always portray to the outside i'm trying to get this idea of what i mean by a sense it's not just a word it's not just a knowledge it's actually something that you sense right now and this is why i asked you at one point to you know just close your eyes and go back to your past and ask yourself you know who was there 10 years ago right and who was it that came to the monastery this morning who sat down to listen to the sermon who will be having lunch in a bit now you have an answer to the, to all this and it's just not knowledge is it it's not just something you know is it it's it's, it's something you you feel right it's just you're one with it it's some it's like something that cannot be removed from yourself you can't be distanced from it it's part and parcel of who you are it's part of your very being isn't it that's the feeling i'm talking about that feeling is a fabrication now this is the this is the most difficult thing to appreciate as a, as a fabrication because it feels because it is it is what you feel you know that's like saying and if you were to clasp your hands together that's like saying you know this you are not doing that and you're like yeah you cause i am how can you say i'm not it's so real it's like you know you're breathing it's like you're alive and i'm telling you no you're not it's going to be so difficult to accept that and that's the obstacle that i that i i have as a challenge to help you overcome for your behalf we need to do that though now remember we talked about the example of uh, the mother uh, at the mortuary hmm? you're taken you go there and you uh, you 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 think that it's your mother on the on the table 
but you soon realize that it's not your mother. Someone says, no, it's not that, it's the other one. So you walk there and then you start crying again. You know, when you see that body, when someone says mother, when someone says the word mother, something, you know, that feeling that comes inside, it's not just knowledge, is it? It's not just knowledge, it's, it's an emotion. It's emotionally, there's a connection, there's an emotional connection to it, much the same as the self. There's an emotional connection to you with this sense of self that you have. The important thing that we need to get across here is that this is a fabrication. It is artificial, meaning not something that is, you know, like plastic or rubber or anything like that, but you make it, you create it. In fact, it's not you create it, but there's a process that creates it. We talked about the principle of cause and effect last time as well. Everything is cause and effect driven. Nothing is you and I driven. Cause and effect determines everything. Every process, every production, every thing that comes into existence was the product of a series of causes in a particular pattern. Yeah? And the same goes for self. Remember this morning we talked about this Pachupan concept? Right now, these guys don't know anything about it. Who's these guys? People behind the camera. They don't know what I'm talking about when I say Pachupan, but you do. Right? So I'm going to have to take the same example again, if you wouldn't mind. Right? So the time now is 10, 13, and let's say 30 seconds. Right? 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36. When did the pen drop? Hmm? Was it at 34 seconds? Was it? No. The pen dropped when the fingers released. That's when the pen dropped. It would be wrong to say that the pen dropped at 34 seconds because that is a very subjective construct to describe absolute truth. We live in a subjective world and we, we make use of subjective constructs to describe the absolute world. This, the significance of this principle is to get into our minds that everything is much like that. Everything is cause and effect driven. You know, this, this concept of prachupan is the principle of cause and effect. It is causes that determine any effect. Why am I going on about this? Because I want you to realize that this feeling of self is also cause and effect driven. There is nothing in this world that you will experience that is not driven by causes. You won't. Whether it's Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, or even this sense of self. The problem here is, when you begin to feel this sense of self, inherently, there's a feeling that it is not based in causes. Now, when, I, when you look at a fire, right? Those of you who know about a fire will know that this is not something magical, but rather it is logical, right? There are causes which bring about this effect, and that's why when you want to turn it up or turn it down, you add the relevant causes. What's required, you keep adding to it, and when it's not required, then you take out. And you don't need to address all three causes, you just need to add one. 
Okay, that's again one of the wonderful things about this principle of cause and effect. If you don't want something, you don't have to address all of the causes, just sort out one. But if you need something, you need to bring in all of the causes. Now, this works in our favor. Why? Because if suffering is, based, is, is dependent on, say, a trillion causes, who cares? <laughs> we don't need to concern ourselves with the, with, the, with the trillion causes that are causative of suffering. We just need to work on one. And it may be that there are more than one causes. But, oh, the Buddha, in all his knowledge and infinite wisdom, he identified the one cause that we can work on so easily. So now do we need to go and research and find out perhaps there were other causes? No, no, let's not try and be another Buddha. We don't need to become supreme Buddhas because even if we did, you'd still come back and say, attachment is the cause of suffering. <laughs> right, so let's not have to reinvent the wheel. Now, this sense of self, let me quickly add that on here. The sense of self is a product of the cause and effect principle. The self wouldn't be if there were something like that, but there isn't. There is no such thing as a self. Why? Because how can you manifest something that is not based in causes? How can you bring about a self? You can't because you, don't, you wouldn't know what to do. To give rise to a self, you wouldn't know what to do. I'm going to borrow a, a concept from another religion, okay? Say uh, God, okay? So this is, not, this is not to refute or to agree or anything. I'm just saying God. How do you create God? Ah. Now let's say God really existed, okay? I'm talking about the, the real God, okay? The God Almighty is there, right? How do, you, how do you make another one of him? How would you do that? You can't. You can't do that. Because, you know, he has no origin. He's always been there. Apparently he's always been there. And apparently he'll always be there. So he has no origins. Without origins, what the, the, the Buddhist principle of cause and effect teaches us is there cannot be such a thing that has no origin. There cannot be such a thing that whose coming into being cannot be described. If you did somehow come up with a concept of something that did not base itself in the principle of cause and effect, then we can come to the fair conclusion that such a thing, such a thing, does not exist. Does not exist. That's why this, God does not exist in that sense in Buddhist philosophy. A God that has always existed and that will always exist. That sort of God does not exist in Buddhist teaching. But there are gods who have origins, who were born because of their karma and vipaka. So those gods, there are plenty of in Buddhist teachings. There are records of how they used to come and meet with the Buddha for, and discuss the Dhamma, and some of them went on to become Sotapannas. 
So that is perfectly allowable in Buddhist philosophy. Coming back to the self, a sense of self is based in causes. So the principle of cause and effect can be used to describe how a sense of self comes into being. But you cannot use a principle of cause and effect to explain how a self comes into being. Because this self that you feel, you know more than anyone that it has no causes. That's why when I say, you know, in your, when you were younger, at 10 years of age, and you immediately remember your time when you were 10 years of age, but you never feel that it was somebody else. You always feel that was me, that was I, yes? Without a shadow of a doubt, that was me back then. And, you know, let's say your next birthday is your, I don't know, say 40th birthday. I'd say, you know, for your 40th birthday, what are you planning on doing? Now you will say, well, you know, over the last 40 years, I've done this, this, and this. You know, it is my ambition to travel the world, so I, which I have been doing. And so for my 40th, I'm going to uh, Jamaica. I've not been there, so I want to go there. Because I've been all the other places. There's one place I haven't been, and that's where I want to go. So who's talking here now? Someone who's been to all these other places, right? This person says, I've been to all the other places. There's one place I haven't been, so I want to go there for my 40th birthday. Now let's find out where this person is that's been to all these other places. <laughs> huh? Where's this person who's been to all these other places? Where's the person who left home today? Where is that person? Where is that individual who woke up this morning, got into that bus, took your transport, whatever, had your breakfast, you know, and came here, and now you're sat here. You know, are you the same person who left home? Are you a different person then? I, you know, I want you to carefully listen to each word, each syllable, because there's a, there's a lesson behind this, okay? Are you the same person that left home this morning, or are you a different person? No such thing as what? Who are you then? Who are you then? Yeah, wrong question. Good. <laughs> oh, look at you. Tell me. Wrong question. <laughs> Don't have this gentleman in the sermon again, please. <laughs> wrong question to Swami Nancy. <laughs> if, a, if a question does not have an answer, a valid answer, then of course you have to agree that the question is flawed. Hmm? The question is flawed. A question that does not have an answer is a wrong question. How old is this guy? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do you think he's five or six? Hmm? Is he 56 or 66? What do you think, this person here? Hmm? What do you think? What about this side of the room? What do you think? Is this person five or six? How about you? Shall we, shall we cast a vote? Hmm? Is this a man or a dog? Answer the question without saying wrong question or right question. Come on. Is this a man or a dog? 
answer the question. Is this a man or a dog? So who is it then? What is it then? So it's neither five nor six, huh? How old then? It's the same thing with self. It's the same thing with self. You can't talk about a self because such a thing does not exist. You can't describe the characteristics of something that does not exist. There is no eighth day of the week. Therefore, you can't say what that day is like or which day it comes after. So does the eighth day of the week come after the seventh day of the week matter? That's a, that's a good question, isn't it? Huh? Does the eighth day of the week come after the seventh day of the week? Wrong? Wrong question. Because I'm asking that question on the premise that an eighth day exists. What if I came to you and asked you, have you said, when did you say, did you, did you say to the other person that this guy was five? Why did you say something like that? What would you say then? Let's say I've, I've heard from someone, right, that you've been talking about him, okay, amongst yourselves. And then I come and ask you, excuse me, madam, did you, did you say that he was five? Did you? Then what would you say? <laughs> exactly. You'd say what? You'd say, no, I've, not, I've never said something like that. Then I ask you, oh, so you said he was six then? No, I've not said like that either. Then I asked, oh, so you didn't, you, you didn't say he was five, you didn't say he was six either. You didn't say and neither did you not say. No, I've not said any of those things. Because you never said anything about, about what? About? About whom? About, can we ask about whom? Or about what? No. Because this is a figment of my own imagination. It's a mental fabrication. So whatever mental fabrications I come up with, are you going to be responsible for that? Can I hold you responsible and accountable and expect you to give me answers for things that I create in my own mind? No. So, you know, this is what the self is like. But see how freely, how conveniently, how just so casually we talk about the self. We talk about, you know, when we were six, when we were five, what we're going to be doing tomorrow, what we have for breakfast this morning, and how we got to work. Are your plans for the future? Are your plans for your children? Hmm? See? We, we, feel no, we, we feel no issue with that, do we? we? We don't take any issue to that. It feels so natural to talk about ourselves. So it sounds like, it sounds mind-boggling to then be told that this is all just a, an illusion. It's only a sense that you have. You sense it, but it's not really there. It's a bit like, you know how sometimes when you say, you know how um, when you eat fish, sometimes bony fish, right? And you get one of those like little bones stuck in the back of your throat. Hmm? Ever had that experience? Yeah. And now what do you do after that? It's like some rice or maybe a banana. You try and swallow it whole right, to get rid of it. Sometimes it comes out, but you still feel like it's there. Yeah? Been there? Good. So, it's not there. It's just a sense that it's there, right? 
this self is also something like that. I'm trying to give you lots of examples so you can really grasp what I mean by this sense of self. So it's not really there, but it feels like it's there. Or say, for instance, um, you have, uh, let's say you've, you, you had something, you know, you, you, um, a, a thorn got in your foot as you're walking about. And now you saw it, you stopped, you looked at your foot and you took it out, threw it away. But now as you walk again, you, you feel that sensation. You feel as if it's there. Or let's say you've got something in your shoe. Hmm? You feel that, and you feel that something's, you know, you say there's a stone or a pebble or something that's got into your shoe, and you 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 take it off and you look inside. There's nothing in there. Put your arm inside, hand inside, you know, try and clean it out. Then turn it upside down, shake it a few times, and put it back on. No, it's still there, right? Like, do you know, do you know, you know that that feeling, like, like something's there, but you know it's not there. Right? This sense of self is something like that. It's something like that. That example of, uh, you know, the, 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 the best simile of Natasha and the baby, or the baby Natasha, or the mother and the made-believe child. The child does not exist, but she feels like it's there. This is a sense of a child. Likewise, a sense of self. A sense of self is based in cause and effect, but not a self. I really want you to make that distinction. Self is not based in cause and effect, and therefore there never has been a self. But the sense of self is 100% based in the principle of cause and effect. I can talk to you all day, night long, how the sense of self comes into being, and if there's a problem with that, how we can get away with it or get, you know, do away with it. But I cannot talk to you about a self. How it came into being, if it's problematic, what you can do about it. You know, the four noble truths are not about the self. Hmm? How about that for size? The Buddha did not talk about a self. He did not talk about the causes of a self. He did not talk about the eradication of a self or the path to eradicating of the self. He did not talk about any of those things. That is not what the four noble truths are. If that were what the Buddha taught as the Four Noble, he would not have said it would be the Four Noble Truths. Because it is not the truth. It's a lie. The Four Noble Truths are about the sense of self. The mind rises and passes away. In each of these thought moments, a process takes place. Now let's just revisit how this happens in the first place. You know, one of these. We've talked about this in the past. So most of you will be, you know, really good and up to scratch with this. But let's quickly revisit that topic. You understand what I wanted to get across with this point, right? These two things, very different, but the same feeling, the same feeling, okay? So how does one of these come into being? Let's, let's, let's talk about the cause and effect of this, how, how this comes into being. We have the eye and a sight. 
when they come into contact, why do they come into contact? This is what Vipaka is. This is what Vipaka is, okay? This is Vipaka. Vipaka is called Vipaka because it does not have the power to bring, to give birth to anything. By anything, I mean something in particular. It does not have the energy to give rise to any more Vipaka. Vipaka does not produce Vipaka. It does not breed itself. And Vipaka also does not breed suffering. You know, like they say how money is the root of all evil, which is senseless, meaningless. There's no base in that. Money is not the root of all evil. Ignorance and attachment is the root of all evil. If someone with good intentions, you know, no, no uh, ignorance and attachment, if they had a lot of money, what would they do? Evil? No, they would do as much good as they possibly could. But someone with ignorance and attachment and, you know, un unmeritorious deeds, if their minds were inclined that way, money can cause great harm, right? So money is not the root of all evil. So should you be, uh, you know, sh should you be ashamed to be earning money or to have possession of great wealth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Being wealthy is not a sin in Buddhism. Let's get that straight. So just because you understand Buddhism doesn't mean you have to give everything away. Right? Because a true Buddhist or a good Buddhist is not someone who does not have anything. The chief benefactor of the Buddha Sasana was one of the richest men alive in the time of the Buddha. And the chief benefactress of the Buddha Sasana, which was whom? Isaka, yes, she was also one of the wealthiest women of her time. So money has nothing to do with Buddhism. How wealthy you are, how affluent you are has nothing to do with Buddhism. Buddhism is not about this because money is this. It's Vipaka. Buddhism has nothing to do with Vipaka. Buddhism is not against Vipaka. It, it's not, it, it, it does not confront with Vipaka. It accepts Vipaka. That's what Buddhism does. It teaches you how to accept it. So when these two things collide through Vipaka, we know how the brain works, right? So that's just a lot of detail we don't need to get into. And the brain has this magical formula through which it creates a mind moment. And a chitta arises. This is like the news. What do they say on the news? Something that has happened or something that has been planned. It's always something that has been, not something that will be. But you might ask, but Swaminas, they tell that there's a match tomorrow. Yes, it has been planned. That's what they're talking about. A plan has happened. The weather forecast has happened. The weather hasn't happened, but the forecast has happened. Right? So they always talk about the has happened. Right? So the chitta arises to tell you what has happened. Now, I'm going to give you some uh, practical advice here. I'm helping you out, you know, just to live uh, an, an, an easier life, okay? So this is a bit of a bonus. For those of you who like to pay the odd visit to the gym, do you? No? It's all right. I mean, as I said, you know, Buddhism has nothing against going to the gym or exercising. Uh, here's the point. You know how sometimes you exert yourself physically? Uh, let's say you want to do some exercises and, you know, there comes a point where you go, I don't want to do this anymore, right? Say you've promised yourself, I'm going to be doing 50 push-ups today. Hmm? 
and you're you're you've done five, and you go, that's it. <laughs> right? I'm gonna die in the next one, let alone fifty. Right? Here's now here's a really, really, really interesting point for you. When you experience that pain, okay, you feel that it's gonna kill you. You think it's gonna break you. Right? It'll break your arms, it'll break your back, it'll break your bones, right? And then you're just gonna collapse. You think it's all going to happen because the pain that you're experiencing right now is just torturous, is what you feel. Little do you know that what has to happen has already happened. <laughs> this is just news. The pain that you're enduring at that moment has already happened. And it hasn't killed you. <laughs> Nothing's happened. See, you're okay. You're, you're so okay. And you're so alive that you even know that it has happened. This comes always after the fact. So the fact was fine. Meaning, you're all right. So, do another one. So you can practice the path as you're doing your push-ups. You don't have to sit down cross-legged. Ah, what about when you're sitting down cross-legged? Ah, yes. Huh? Yeah? And you know, you feel your legs going numb, and, and your knees starting to ache, your back hurts, and you think, no, nah, you know, I can't do this. Come on. You know, this is just this is just murder. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this to myself. Why am I doing this? You know, I, I can't tolerate this. This just cannot happen. I can't do this. You are already doing it. What you, are, what you think you can't be doing, you're already doing. You've already done it. You've already done it. This is just coming to say, oh, by the way, you've just done something. <laughs> you know, at this point, all you're supposed to be doing is saying, all right, thank you for letting me know. That's the only thing you're supposed to be doing at that point, is just accept the vipaka. That is what a mind moment is born for, to accept the vipaka. Not to create new vipaka, just to accept it. See, this has happened, now accept it. This is fine if this is all that was, ha was happening in the mind. But there is something else that's going on which is not prepared to accept the vipaka. There's a fighter in here. He doesn't want this. <clears throat> if this mind moment was born as a result of that, what right does this have to say, I don't want that? Do you have a right to walk up to your parents and say, I don't want you as parents? Do you? Can there be anything more senseless and meaningless and stupid? Huh? You're only able to say that because, <laughs> because you've already come into this world and because they were your parents. So the same concept applies here. What I'm trying to show you here is there are multiple processes that are running here, folks. We need to identify exactly the right cause that we need to sort out. Far too many times, people get lost in the Dhamma. It's so easy to happen. That is why I'm so glad and so grateful for Guru Swami Nuhanse for just clearly showing the path so precisely, so accurately, and so beautifully. I've never felt I've been lost in the Dhamma. Sometimes I go up to him with questions. Guru Swami, I have a question. He says, what is the question? I ask the question, later. <laughs> he says, no, no, let's not worry about that just yet. 
If it comes, it will come. You don't need to worry about that. Then I don't go and spend have sleepless nights trying to figure out that. Because I want to be a good student. If he says I don't need it, I don't need it. I'm perfectly fine with that. If you want to find, you know, if you want to learn about my success, this is one of the this is one of the reasons. And I, I've been so fortunate to be his student because I believe I'm a good student. So I want you to be as well. And the teacher says, you know, you don't need it. I don't need to question that because I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly happy with what my teacher thinks is not good for me, not appropriate for me. Oh, I don't need. Without that, you can't you can't go this journey, because curiosity kills the cat. Sometimes he may, perhaps he has the answer to it, but sometimes maybe he's testing. Maybe he's testing me. Is he able to live with that curiosity, or is it going to kill him? Hmm? I should be able to. I should be prepared for him to say, maybe it's a very pretty obvious question. Maybe it's a question that needs an answer. But he says, no, you don't need the answer to that. If you say so. We all need to be able to do that. Coming back to this. This is the Vipaka. This is the job of the Chitta is to accept the Vipaka. Had it not been for this, this would have not come into being. Are we all okay on that? Yeah, all on board? Right. If this was the only thing that happened, we would not have any problems. But unfortunately, this is not the only thing that happens. There's a Vipaka cycle. And there's another cycle here. This is the karma cycle. Vipaka cycle and the karma cycle. What do you think is karma? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's when you're not prepared to accept the Vipaka. To put it very simply, when you're not prepared to accept the Vipaka. When you become either friend or foe with it. When you try to befriend, befriend the Vipaka, you're doing karma. When you're trying to fight the Vipaka, again that's karma. Remember that the Chitta's objective is not either of those things. It wouldn't have come into being had it not been for the Vipaka. So what right does it have to argue, to challenge, to debate, right? The two of these coming together. Had this been, you know, uh, not a flower, but let's say something like this, I don't know, maybe a, a ball or something. This chitta would not have been this, it would have been a very different one. <laughs> it would have been a different chitta. Had, it, had this not been the eye, but been the ear, Hmm? That would not be a, this chitta, it would be a different chitta. So you see, these two things determine what this is. Whichever it is, whichever this is, whichever this is, and therefore whichever the combination is, this is simply, the the, this one's job is simply to accept it. Yep, got it. Yep, got it. Yep, got it. 
That's it. But the reason that the mind cannot do that is because the mind yearns for separation. So I'm trying to pave the path from this to... Oh, where's that gone? Sense of not self, sense of vipaka, okay? Not vipaka, sense of self. I'm showing you how this led to this. I'm showing you what? How this has led to this. The mind is inclined to separation. That is why this morning I showed you the, uh, the tree uh, branch, right? And I asked you, why does it look nice? It does, doesn't it? What do we have today? Last week I was sitting in a bird's nest. <laughs> I was in the week before. But you see separation, right? See, look at this, for instance. Hmm? There are flowers of different colors. And if any of you are into floral designs and things like that, right, or interior deco and things like that, you will appreciate what I'm talking about. Or photography. Hmm? You'll appreciate what I'm talking about. You see, the fact that this is different to this means so much to this, doesn't it? This looks so pretty because it's not this everywhere. Why do we focus on people's faces so much? I'm just telling you things as they come to mind. You know, I don't have, I don't come with an agenda. That's why I ask you, what did we talk about last week? Like, why do we, you know, when we talk about someone, when we think about someone, why do we look at their faces? What's special about people's faces? Uh-huh, yes, yes. Yes, variety of expression, yes, and also variety of facial features. So many separations are going on in this one small bit of real estate. Yeah, look at all the subtle differences in, you know, all the subtle characteristics that you can glean just from one glance at someone's face. You can't see so much separation looking at one's arm. But even the eyes, like the color of the eyes, and then, you know, see, to look prettier, what do people normally do? Okay, ladies in the house, help me out here, please. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, when you're making up, what you're actually doing is making separations. I, I, you know what some of the eyebrow, you know, I don't even know what they're called these days. You know, the things that they do with the eyebrows, right? Sometimes you, they have like separations in the eyebrows. Yeah? Is that, is that still done? Yeah? Yeah, good. Okay. So, you know, those are things I used to see back then. I, you know, the beard. How people wear their beard. Hmm? See, how many things you can do to a face. Do you want to count the, the lots of different types of things we can do with a face to make it different and separate to another person? Uh, hundreds of different things. Glasses, right? color of the eyes, the way they blink, eyelids, eyelashes. Now you can color them as well, right? Yeah. Where do you put mascara? I can't remember now. Where? Lashes. Lashes, right. Thank you. Right? Mascara. Why mascara? Separate. Yeah, separate. 
Looks like it, Buddha. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So, right. Yeah. Why do people want to change their eye color? Because they want to separate themselves. This yearning for separation is so deeply rooted in the mind. It requires it for its for sanity. For the in the name of sanity, the mind requires what separation. That is why it goes insane. <laughs> Let me repeat that. In the name of sanity, the mind requires separation. That it's, it wants it so badly, but because it can't achieve that, it goes insane. You know, think about these things. Why is the face such an, such an important part of someone's you know, physique? If, if I were to draw someone's arm and ask, is she or he beautiful? Right? You say, let me have a look at him. Where, where do you look? You look at the face. You know, in a magazine, right? If I showed you a picture of a, a, a woman and I said, does she look good? You'd look at what? You'd look at the face. Even if you were to look at some other part of the body, you'd still, before you make your judgment, yes, yes. Whenever you make your judgment about someone's appearance, right, whichever part of the body it might be, before you make your judgment, before you come to the conclusion, oh yes, he's good looking or she's good looking, you take that look at that face. Because that face is where all that separation happens. So from eyebrows to eyelids to eyelashes to lips, right? lip gloss. And what's the other thing that you draw around the lip? What's that? Liner, yes, thank you. Lip liners. See how many things you can do to your face and oh, blushing? Huh? Doing those things apparently makes one look beautiful, right? That's why they do it. You know, in the name of beauty, beauty culture. Right? They do it. What are they actually doing? Separation. That is what they're actually doing, separation. Well, then if you just move a further bit north, what do you have? The hair. Oh. <laughs> That's a business on its own, isn't it? It's an industry on its own. Yes. Think about all the things you can do with your hair. You can color it. You can part it different ways. Straighten it. Yes. Huh? Curl it. What? It? What's that? Huh? Cut it. Yes, cut it. Cut it and then shave it. And, you know, this, uh, you know, young people, what they say, you know, hair, different hairstyles. Like Bob Marley's and you know Sangakaras and you know, you know, separation. All separation. It's what the mind seeks is that separation. It's not really beauty that the mind is looking for. The mind is looking for separation on the premise that separation is pleasurable. It wants it so badly. It wants it so badly that when it doesn't get it, it goes insane, it goes, in, goes mad. Because the truth of the matter is, like we discussed some weeks ago, although we feel that all these things are separate, like, you know, last week we talked about the water. Yeah? Were you there? In last week's uh, water and the ice? Yeah? Now, I have some water hopefully here. Yes, I do. Now, 
well, trust me, there is water in this, okay? Right. I don't want to pour it out into that because I might get told off for that. Right. So there's water here. I'll ask you the question, what's here? No. Give me the full answer. Mm. You don't need to go that far. You, with science, right? Give me a scientifically accurate answer. What's in here? Keep going. Water? Yes, you're very close. What is this? In the form of fluid, yes, you're right, madam. So what is here is water at room temperature and, and room pressure, or at atmospheric pressure. So if I ask you what is in here, you can't simply say, you know, water in, if you, if you mean water is that and ice is the solid form, then you can't say that's, that's water. Because that is water, but in its full form, you have to say at room temperature and at atmospheric pressure. That's when it's the right answer. So what is, if I, you know, last week I had ice in a, in a glass, what was that then? Again, you could say it's water at zero degrees Celsius and at room pressure, AKA ice, right? So that is water. To, if I ask you what is water, that's the, that's the full answer you're gonna have to give. So how does water turn to ice? Energy. And how does ice turn to water? Energy. In other words, it's the same stuff. What's different is the amount of energy. So what conclusion can we draw from that then? All the differences that we, see, we can see around us, they're all based on differences in energy. Differences in energy. It is these differences in energy that we can observe Take out energy, it's all the same stuff. So much so that just like it's just water molecules, either in liquid form, solid form, or in gas form, gaseous form, if you took out the energy or put back the energy, right, depending on the amount of energy, you know, water itself is again, what? Hydrogen and oxygen, right? Now, what are you then? Same stuff. An atom of hydrogen is one proton, one neutron, and one electron. More of that will make helium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and the list goes on. Just more of the same stuff. Right? You put in more energy, more protons, neutrons, electrons can be added to this thing. Take out energy, and then it just it reduces to something more, more basic. Right? Until it comes down to the, you know, to the most basic of, of, of elements. And if you go further in, you come down to the Suddhastaka, the pure octet. You can keep going further. Let's not go there just yet. Right? But you've heard of the pure octet, the Suddhastaka, right? So that far we can go, and we can go all the way in the other direction to all these, you know, these things that we have, that we brought here, here along with us. So if it's the same stuff, just different configurations, isn't this, wasn't this at some point someone's nose? Hmm? 
Do you see a parrot perched on that? Hmm? Don't you see a parrot perched on that pedestal? Don't you? Not yet, yes. Or not now. It was earlier. Just different configurations. So really what we see around here, folks, is, is this is all just different configurations of the same stuff. Like a Rubik's Cube. You know, you can configure a Rubik's Cube, right? When you turn and twist and turn all those parts, you get different configurations. You are all just different configurations of body mass. Hair, teeth, right? skin, muscle, bone. These are all just different configurations of the same stuff. Therefore, you are all, all of our bodies, these bodies are just different configurations of the same stuff. What makes this is what makes this body. What makes this body is what makes this microphone. What makes that microphone is what makes this board. Is what makes these flowers. Is what makes the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. So how come we are so different then? It's only a sense of difference. When we don't appreciate that underneath it's all the same, you know, it's like when they make manufacture cars, right? Some manufacturers, all they do is they just <laughs> change the shell, the outer shell. Right? Inside, it's just the same stuff. I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty common these days, isn't it? And people talk about it. You know, you buy, I'm not going to name any brands. You'll say, you know, what did you buy? I bought this car. Ah, oh, that's just the other car with a different shell. <laughs> yeah, they say that. And it is true. So therefore, when you want to test the reliability of a vehicle, or if that is what you're going to determine whether you're going to buy it or not, Sometimes there'll be certain brands you will choose to avoid because you know it's that other brand but a different shell. So underneath is the same stuff. In much the same way, this is all the same stuff. We are all the same. You know, people used to say this, you know, it's all red blood, you know, we've got the same blood running in our bodies, so how come we are so different, you know, we should all live in peace and harmony. I'm talking about something more profound than that. This is all just material particular material. This is all just material. But with the addition of energy. And that energy can come in the form of mind energy or chitta energy. You see this piece of cloth here? You know what the mind is capable of doing? It's capable of doing that. And when it passes away, it just lets go and this goes back into its original form. Back to that. So the mind is capable of doing that. And when it passes away, it's capable of just letting it go back into its original form. So really these separations that you witness and observe in the world around you are only there in their current form because there's an energy working on them, all rooted in mind energy, or what we call chitta shakti. So the differences that you see around you, the fact that you're, you know, you you have your hair a particular color, I mean, say from birth, or even later on, even if you chose to, you know, color your hair differently, that's still the mind at work, isn't it? Perhaps you are, you know, you you're born with, uh, you know one limb, 
that was your mind at work. Because it was the mind that did all that magic behind the scenes. And now it's the manifestation that you see right now. All because the mind wants separation. When this happens, as I said, I'm going to show you how it leads here. I only have a few minutes, but I'm sure we can conclude this before we bring the sermon to a close. When this, when this happens, this, this is Vipaka taking place. One of these is born. But because the mind does not realize that these are all one and the same, it is all just substance, all of similar nature. What it does is it tries to separate it tries to, it goes through the process of separation. It attempts to separate. Let's put it that way. It attempts to separate. See, you can't ask me, separate what? It's just to separate. To separate because in separation it takes pleasure. When it attempts to separate, although separation doesn't take place really, it gives itself, because in fact, not although, but because separation doesn't really take place, the mind goes into deep vexation. You know, you want to, let's say you have a nail that you want to fix onto the wall, okay? And you keep hitting it with a hammer, but it keeps dropping on the floor. Hmm? How many times before you take it and smack your head with it? <laughs> Enough of this. Right? Or you just drop it and go, right, I can't be doing this anymore. This is the, you know, you understand that vexation. Oh, let's say you're trying to turn the ignition of your car and it's just not coming on. I've been there. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I keep trying and keep trying, keep trying. One point, oh God, I'm just going to walk or <laughs> take the bus. Right? You know that vexation? Hmm? Or when you want to, let's say something's on a, on a shelf and you want to reach it and you keep jumping. Like say, you know, your um, mother's put some money on, on the shelf because she knows you, you're not tall enough to reach it. Right? But you want to prove otherwise. So you keep jumping. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it somehow or the other. You keep jumping, you keep jumping. But you know, it's just, just there. It just touches, touches the tip of your fingers, but you can't reach it. You know that feeling? But you're ever hopeful. But only hopelessly hopeful. Right? You keep trying to t reach that, but you can't do it. That feeling of vexation, you realize? Yeah? The same happens here. What it receives is not something that is separated. Sight, I don't know how much you'll understand what I'm saying here. Sight is the same as sound. It's the same as smell. It's the same as taste. It's the same as touch. Now I know this is probably just going over your head like that. Right? But it's okay. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> This eye is wired to the back of the brain, right? <clears throat> Let's say it was this part of the brain that was responsible for the sense of hearing. Okay? Now, we are going to be Dr. Frankenstein and we are going to switch this round. Uh, so instead of the eye, no, actually from the eye, we are going to plug the, uh, the uh, it's not auditory, what's it called? Optic nerve. We are going to plug the optic nerve to the part of the brain that is responsible for hearing. Now you put something in front of the eye, what do you think is going to happen? You hear a sound. 
actually you're not going to hear a sound because the sound never came entered the ear but you're going to sense a sound because what the brain does folks is convert electrical impulses to sensations that's what the brain does it converts electrical signals which the which the mind cannot receive the mind is not sensitive enough to receive and interpret electrical signals what it does is it converts electrical signals electrical impulses receive and remember the brain cannot uh, interpret sight or color or, or say light waves therefore you need the eye so you see each of these parts have a very important crucial role to play in ultimately sensing who does the sensing part the mind does but for the mind to sense various other things have to have happened along the way multiple interpretations he is a chinese man he is an indian guy he is an english guy he speaks indian and chinese or say hindi and chinese he speaks english and uh, hindi and this guy speaks only english how do you think he's going to get his message across to this guy hmm Indeed, that's exactly how it has to happen, right? So he performs the function that of translating what he has said in words that he can understand, right? So you see, this is a process. Ultimately, the end result, the end goal is this guy understanding what he has said. Right? Let's say you know there's a there's a truck approaching and he wants to say move, or right, jump out of the road, right? Now he can't see. Let's say he's blind. and this guy doesn't see he 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 won't you know he, he only says what he's he, he's he's told to say so he this guy has to say i don't know what whatever is chinese for jump out of the road right say ching hong right and what this guy would say is he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to say those words because he doesn't know what chinese for jump out of the out of the ways he's going to say to this guy in what in english yeah in english he's going to say to this guy in english jump and then this guy in hindi is going to say to this guy whatever the word in hindi is for that to jump out of the road right so doesn't matter this guy knows so does it doesn't know chinese but because he understands hindi now he's able to do that so ultimately the objective is what him moving out of the way right so that he's not struck by hit by the the moving vehicle in the same way the ultimate objective is for the mind to sense separation you know this whole universe was constructed for one reason <laughs> separation you know how far the mind will go to sense this separation do you know what it will end up creating the entire universe how vast is the universe infinitely vast right that's how far the mind is willing to go <laughs> that's how far the mind the mind created jupiter which is very different to saturn <laughs> huh which is very different to uranus because it wants a separation galaxies are so different from each other you know let's go macroscopic if you want 
and we can come back microscopic along the spectrum, everywhere you go, wherever you look, ultimately it's all in the name of separation. That's how much the mind wants to separate. So you might ask the question, so why this outside separation, Swaminasa? Is it not enough if you just did it on the inside? Here's the thing. These objects, because they look different, because they smell different, because they taste different, it helps the mind do what it wants to do with minimal effort. To a mind that wishes to separate everything, this world is a thriving opportunity, a wonderful, fantastic opportunity to be able to do what it wants to do. You know, imagine if the whole world was just one color. Would you like that? Hmm? Would you like that? Close your eyes and the world is all one color. Yes, yeah. So the mind, it is the mind that created this. Because the mind wants separation. As the gentleman right, rightly said, you know, these didn't come first. The mind came first. The planets, which came first? Chicken or egg? I have a better question for you. Which came first? The planets or the mind? The mind came first. The mind with its undying need, unwavering, unfaltering need to separate came first. And then to help it achieve that, it created all these separations among ourselves in this, in this entire universe. You look so different to the person next to you because that mind, whichever, whenever it came into this universe, wanted separation. And today you go after it so much that you will walk in front of the mirror and you'll adjust yourself, make subtle differences. Even if you are twins, you'll still make subtle differences among yourselves. <laughs> Do you know why? I was just thinking the other day, why twins sometimes dress exactly the same way? I have a theory. You've seen that, right? How sometimes twins will, you know, they'll, they'll look identical twins. They'll dress the same way. They'll have their, have their hair the same way. Right? You know why that is? They take pleasure in fooling the other person. <laughs> They do, because they can do something that the other person can't do. Because as similar as they look to themselves, they know that they are different from the other person. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but who is unable to do that? The other person. And they know that that is vexatious. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so they know it's vexatious. What is vexatious? Not being able to separate between two things is vexatious. But they don't feel it, right? Because I, I know I, if I had a twin, I know I am me and I know the other person is the other person. So no matter how we dress, how we wear our hair, I'll always know that I'm a separate person to the other person. But who doesn't? People observing us. They don't. Ha ha. <laughs> Yeah, because the parents also enjoy that. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, you can, you know, tell, if, tell me who's who. <laughs> but if you ask a parent, they'll have some, either a birthmark or something that they'll know. They'll used to tell, this is the one that's different from the other. And they, they won't tell you which one it is. They won't tell you that distinguishing character that they use. Because if, it, if they couldn't tell them apart, that would be vexatious to them. Trust me, this whole world is based on this one thing. Separation. This is what the mind wants so badly. That's why we all look so different. That's why we all dress so different. That's why we all speak and, you know, walk and talk. You know, our gait is different. 
All of this is so different. These are all constructions to feed a yearning mind, a, a, a cringing mind to keep its sanity. But in the end, what happened? It was the insane mind which thought, which came to think that the world was separate, then went on to create those things so that it could continue to live in this make-believe world. Just like that glove which has five fingers, that was made for a hand with five fingers, the mind has created this world with all its separations and divisions. You know, as much as people will come, up to, come to the stage, to the world stage and say, you know, we are all one people, we are all one religion, one creed, right? One race, let's all live happily and peacefully ever after. Deep down inside, that's not what they want. Because of different gati. We'll come to that later. As much as people will you know, cry from the top of their roofs, this is what we want. We want everyone to live peace, harmony. Everyone should be the same. Deep down inside, it is separation that they need. So unless and it is an arahant who's saying this, I don't believe one syllable of what they say. <laughs> because in that separation, they take great pleasure. But to look good to the other person, they'll say we should all be one. Even sometimes they, they don't even know this. Sometimes they're fooling themselves. Because it is a said thing, it's a done thing, you know, it's diplomatically correct to do that and to say that, right? But deep down inside, they want themselves, they want to be able to identify themselves with a group, a community. It's not enough to just say we are all humans. You need to be able to say, I'm a Sri Lankan. And I'm a Buddhist. Oh, by the way, I'm a monk. I'm a man. Hmm? Even if it's an animal, I'm a human being, that's a, that's, that's a goat. I'm a human being, I'm different. I'm different. I'm six, how old are you? <laughs> See? Why? What matters? What is the meaning of, you know, I'm, I'm this old and how old are you? It's all just meaningless rubbish created because the mind needs this separation. We'll talk about it more when we meet next week. I think that's plenty for you to talk, think about right now. I just want to say, this is how that separation comes into being. You know, when this self or this sense of self is created, when that comes into being, the whole world is then split and diced and cut and chopped up into all these different things that you see on the outside. So this entire universe, folks, is a manifestation of a mind that wanted to separate. Right? I'm going to leave you there for today. Because you have another hugely meritorious deed to engage in. Okay, let us take a moment to do our merit transfer and we will bring the sermon to a close. <clears throat> all right, let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble tribal gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these maids to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the maids we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. <laughs>
that has transferred these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, and all the monks at the monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them had been born in the in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May the power of these maids they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the maids that we have all acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, and to those who continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who on behalf of, of merits continue to provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those of you who pass on their know-how and extend their well-wishes. May to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let's also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers, and sisters, Grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders and our acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they abstain from any unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path. May they free themselves from any obstacles to their spiritual progress, be that through physical or mental ailments. May they attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transformation to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhuddha Sasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this long journey that we have come in Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer this message to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoicing the message that we have acquired today. Let's take a moment to transmit to all those who lost their lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides and pandemics wildfires and so on and anything and prevailing in this moment at this at this time in the world, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who've been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer maids to them. May to the power of these maids they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. Let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahatun Nuances on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Nuhanse, an Arahat Theranin Nuhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Chikujim be with you all forever. Members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga Ginnamidatva Dvesha Ginnamidatva Moha Ginnamidatva Nibbana Parana Sukhayan 
सुखित तार निब्बान परम सुखयन सुखित तार ममद सियलु लोक सियलु सत्मयो निब्बान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निब्बान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निब्बान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग गिनी निवेवा Sapa Labeva Nivan Sapa Labeva Nivan Sapa Labeva Tulvangi Susi Anantamahagula Belen Silo Silo Satyoma Nibana Paramasukan Sukhara Vetua Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu